the, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. We have a lot of college football that we got to talk about because the regular season has officially come to a close. A lot of people like to say it ends on conference championship weekend. I tend to like to say it closes after Army and Navy finish up. So, of course, we have a, a, a wild finish in Army-Navy, 17-11. to 11, The Army Black Knights get the win there. Uh, but, Abe, before we get into that, and then Heisman Trophy and Transfer Portal News, which we have some news that we want to share with you here right here on College Football Overtime. I got to ask how my co-host is doing. How you doing, Abe? Yeah, we're doing well, brother. I mean, it feels like we're supposed to have kind of a, a couple of weeks of, of slower stuff before we ramp back up into bowl season and certainly into the semifinals and playoffs and all that stuff. But uh, that certainly is not what's happening based on what we saw on the field there uh, at Foxborough uh, there on Saturday and Saturday night into the Heisman. Um, some interesting results there and certainly – uh, throughout the weekend, some names coming and going in the portal as always. So uh, it is not slowing down very much. That's for sure. Not much of a slowdown at all, you know, and, and we're going to get into a lot of the, call, the the bowl conversation here over the next couple of weeks. Of course, we'll do it as they come. Um, we'll have the ramp up period between now and, uh, of course, Christmas. Um, Manny Diaz, of course, takes a job over at Duke. So we'll have that and a lot of the other coaching carousel discussion coming up here very soon. But before we do, uh, any of the Army Navy stuff or any of that stuff. I gotta talk about Jaden Daniels, you know, the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. I, I don't think there was much of a chance that he was gonna get upset for this. Uh, and yes, I'd say it's really an upset. He was the betting favorite coming into this. Uh, Jaden Daniels, of course, gets 503 first place votes. Uh, Michael Penix, the the second place vote getter. Uh, I, I would say he was. It wasn't as much of a runaway as I think some people thought it was gonna be. Uh, I know we talked about it on college football overtime. Uh, he only wins, of course, by 300 vote, votes. Michael Penix picks up 292 first place votes, but a whopping 341 second place votes. Uh, the regional bias was was on full display, I will say, uh, or at least not quite to the level of some people might say. Uh, but Michael Penix did win the far west coast, uh, but Jaden Daniels, of course, won everywhere else. So uh, the clear statistical winner when it comes to play on the field, as far as one person being super valuable. I mean, we have one guy who accounted for 600 yards of total offense by himself in a single game. You talk about a team doing that. That's a very impressive performance, much less one person. Jaden Daniels was that guy. He, of course, is a very fitting Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, it, it was interesting to see how the voting did break out. Um, it, it was uh, Look, there is not a comparison in terms of statistically and the numbers. I think what you're looking is people saw <laughs> losses on Jaden Daniels record. Uh, mm -hmm. They saw none for Michael Penix. And that's why you get as many first place votes. And obviously the, the bulk of those second place votes uh, as well, which actually did surprise me. I, I talked about it because going into the PAC 12 title game, it was Bo Nix who was, was in, in position to finish second, if not actually win the darn thing. Obviously he didn't have a great game. And you see the results as they played themselves out. Also very interested to see the amount of players that got first place votes. I don't Weird. know if that uh, – and look, I don't always look closely uh, going back through the years. But, I mean, you got – Blake Corum got a couple. Not surprising. Jordan Travis got some. But um, Cody Schrader uh, got one or, or two. J.J. McCarthy 
in that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but no Carson Beck for any of those first place votes, which uh, you know I did take note of. Uh, even Jalen Milrow uh, uh, got one as well. So very long list of guys who received consideration. Um, but ultimately, uh, unlike the college football playoff committee here, cheap shot, uh, the Heisman voters uh, did get the right guy. And I think that's what's most important is um, whether it was closer than you thought or or it was a blowout, whatever. This was the guy that had the best overall season in college football this year. He is a deserving winner um, of the Heisman Trophy. It's not something that I saw coming uh, before the season. Uh, I, I think the guys that that were in New York alongside him made sense, right? I, I mean, those guys, you could have told me before the season, Marvin Harrison goes nuts, he's winning the Heisman. Uh, Bo Nix goes nuts, they're undefeated, he's winning the Heisman. Same thing for Penix with the numbers. Uh, did not see Jaden Daniels coming in that manner. And, and really, it was, it, it was an interesting season for him, Garrett, because – you didn't really get that push starting until like weeks three or four. Uh, yeah. you, you had guys like Penix and Bo Nix were both over 400 yards, I think, in week one with four or five touchdowns, whatever the numbers were. Jane Daniels didn't really start uh, as hot as as you would see most of these guys, but uh, the consistent manner throughout once they entered conference play, you could not deny what he did this season. He is the rightful winner, uh, and congratulations to him and his family for an incredible night, but an incredible season as well. Yeah, and, and you did bring up a very interesting poised point. I'm actually looking at the, the list. Of course, that's sent up by Deloitte. Uh, they do the tabulations for the Heisman Trust. J.J. McCarthy picking up a vote feels a little weird that he picks up a first-place vote. I don't, I don't really know who uh, was watching college football this season and put J.J. McCarthy as their number one Heisman winner. Uh, Blake Corum, I, I get a little bit three. He had three first-place votes there. That one m- makes a little bit more sense. Cody Schrader. Um, He's there by virtue of 22 third-place votes. Uh, he got the one first-place vote that got him up into, se- into eighth place. Ollie Gordon, who I, I was – honestly, if they if they don't fall off the way that they did down the stretch, I think he would have had a lot more support uh, because you see guys like Jalen Milrow, who's in sixth place, make a big jump at the end of the season. It was basically just his play against Auburn and, of course, his overall play. Uh, against the University of Georgia in the SEC championship game. And then Florida State likes to stay in fifth. That's uh, Jordan Travis, <laughs> but undue shot there at Florida State. But the, he finishes with eight first-place votes, 19 second-place votes, 23 third-place votes. But it was pretty clear. It's a pretty clear cut. 352 total points for Marvin Harrison Jr., but he is a far cry from 885, 1701, and, of course, 2,000 overall points for Jaden Daniels. Um, he is, becomes the third Heisman Trophy winner in LSU history. Very well-deserving. I think by the end of it, I think you said a good, no one really expected him necessarily to be the guy at the beginning of the season, much less end of September. Uh, but really, it was the play that he had consistently time over time where he was the guy. And I think a lot of people pointed to losses. And I think at the end of the day, if you look at the, the actual games that they lost, he was averaging something in the range of 450 yards of offense in those games. Uh, it's the defense that was allowing 47 points per game on average in those three losses. And I, it's, I think it's really, really difficult to hold that against the starting quarterback because the defense was, I don't know, not doing anything. They were a sieve, you know, like they were allowing everything past them. It was, they were Swiss cheese. It was brutal. And Jaden Daniels did everything he could in those games to keep LSU in that offense 
and that team overall team in the game. Uh, so big credit to Jaden Daniels. Great job from him. Uh, were there any other surprises for you at all? I, I thought it kind of happened the way I expected to. I, I was a little surprised at at the the, the results between Penix and Knicks, um, only because they they're clearly putting so much, and, and we're obviously basing it on kind of where Vegas had these guys and what the supposed order of finish was. Um, but it was pretty clear that Bo Nix was going to finish second before mm. the Pac-12 title game. I'm surprised that the performance from both Penix and Nix uh, comparatively in that game switched it so much to where he was such a distant third. Um, I, I was, I really was kind of interested in who was going to finish second. I, I could have gone either way. I have no problem with how it did end up going in terms of Penix, but Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels like that one game costs so much in, in regards to that. I was a little surprised, but, uh, other than that, um, it, I mean, it's, it, it was very clear to me that Penix was not going to be winning the Heisman even after, uh, winning, uh, the Pac-12 title game. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's good for him. I thought that, um, Michael Penix was, I thought he was going to have a, a pretty good, uh, argument i guess you could say over Jaden daniels just based off of winning because look at the end of the day if you're on the team that wins the most games oftentimes it's going to be enough to get you there um and i don't think if he had lost another game then i think that would have been enough to to put the the straw that broke the camel's back if you will um but really we didn't get that so uh kudos to Jaden daniels good for him uh just a credit to, to just such a great season that he's had over there in baton rouge uh, we'll see what happens next. Of course, he's uh, moving on to the NFL. All three, all four of these guys are likely moving on to the NFL. We'll see with Marvin Harrison. I know we've had some, uh, we've heard rumblings of offers that are, have floated his way uh, that he could be coming back to play college football. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I don't know if if that's necessarily going to be the case, but uh, the other three guys we know are going to be moving on to the NFL, which is normally not, we don't have anybody coming back uh, from the the actual representation over there in New York, which I think is, Uh, Maybe just going off the top of my head, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Uh, But moving on, of course, we have the Army-Navy game. The the Black Knights of Army. I I think I called them the Golden Knights the other day, and I I feel kind of bad about that. But the Army Black Knights take down the Navy midshipmen at 17 to 11. Of course, we we finished the game with a very impressive goal line stand. Uh, Just felt, you know, becoming of this game that you then on the next play after the goal line stand, have a safety and that gets us to the 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 over under of 28 points and just push you know it just felt altogether fitting uh for this game of course it's notorious for for hitting the under uh low scoring affair but that doesn't make it any great any less great of a football game yeah very interested in how this one played out uh you know we had the reports pregame that navy was expected to use uh, two quarterbacks, but but they kind of stuck with one, and, and they threw the ball a lot more than I thought they would. Uh, Navy as a team threw the ball 29 times, uh, 179 yards and a touchdown uh, in there. Um, it, it just it, it, the run game was not great for either team. Uh, Army, uh, you know, had the edge there at 205 to 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 a buck 30, um, but but it you know it. The, the first 59 minutes, like they came and went, and then you get into that situation at the end, and kind of like 
uh, obviously a different result, but kind of like you had with Ohio State and Notre Dame early in the season. And it comes down to one final play at the goal line. Uh, if you score, you win the game. If you're held out, then you lose the game. And 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 um, it's just a fitting end. It's an incredible end to the regular season, a great cap for college football for that game. I, I, I Look, I... I don't have a lot of memories of Army Navy in like memorable games, right? Or finishes or specific plays. Um, But this one is one you might uh, years from now kind of, kind of be shown, be remembered. Like this is one they'll show every time they have a broadcast from the Army Navy game is the goal line stand and all that stuff. So uh, just a thrilling finish, uh, honestly. And, And for, Two teams were not overly familiar with the players. You're not overly familiar, um, you know, with with what they like to, you know, what they try and do in general. Um, but to play a game that that puts you on the edge of your seat in the final minute like that and really delivers, um, you can appreciate that for sure. It is also very interesting that we have our first touchdown pass for Army <laughs> against yeah. Navy since 2015, by the way, which is just an unbelievable number because. You know, if, if I told you that, you would say that, well, that means Army's not winning a lot of games, but actually they lead the series going back to 2015, I believe. So um, very impressive for them there. Of course, they win the Commanders in Chief, Commander-in-Chief's trophy that goes to the team with the best record in head-to-head matchups against other service academy uh, academies, and that's because Army upset then number 17 Air Force 23-3, to I believe, um, last month. Uh, but, hey, good for them. Uh, of course, we see just a, a great football game, a very, you know, good game, great great game that comes down to the finish. Um, two teams that run the triple option or Army kind of like a, a speed option of sorts, not necessarily a gun option of sorts, uh, not really your, your classic wishbone. Uh, but still, it is the 124th meeting between these two teams, and, and Navy still has the edge over them. I think they have 62 to 54 now, uh, I want to say. But, of course, Army takes down Navy 17 to 11, another great game between these two great teams. But I I do want to move into a little bit more of our discussion here with the transfer portal, because of course you see a lot of these big teams that have something to gain. And that's what a lot of people talk about. We we talk about the, I don't know, uh, Dylan Gabriel. We'll talk about his, his decision to, to commit later on in this in college football overtime. But we talk specifically about the teams that pick up the big player. Uh, and I know that you might want to talk about that right here, but I want to talk about the teams with the most to lose. Um, so far, I have two teams who have been the biggest losers so far. Well, three, if you want to include Vanderbilt, uh, they lost quarterbacks galore and they've lost their, their top receiver, their top running back. They've lost a lot of people. Uh, but two people specifically that I want to point to real quick. The first of a, a first, first of which Oregon state, those poor guys, Jonathan Smith, had the head coach. Of course, he moves on. He goes to Michigan State. Eric Aiden Childs, he follows him to Michigan State. But then you lose DJ Uyunglele, uh, Gerard McCoy, who tied for the lead, in, the team lead in interceptions, Ackley Arnold, and then his brother, Easton Macrianus Arnold, who led the uh, led the Pac-12 in tackles this year. Uh, I th- forgive me for that second. His, the first name of his last name, I can, I can never pronounce it. Uh, but they're brothers. Both of them have jumped into the portal now. Oregon State is just in a really bad spot right now. They've just been decimated in the transfer portal, and I think it, it might only get worse as we go along. Martinez, uh, of course, is he was arrested earlier this month. He's staying at Oregon State. Uh, but then Texas A&M, of course, we saw that they lost Jimbo Fisher. To, well, they fired Jimbo Fisher, I should say. 
uh, Walter Nor Nor excuse me Walter Nolan and uh, LT Overton are both former five star defensive linemen from the 2022 class from 24 seven. Uh, both of them are in the portal now. That's a huge loss. You lose Max Johnson and his brother Jake Johnson, the tight end. That's another big loss. It's just it's just been a brutal couple of weeks here, or brutal week, I should say, for both of those teams. Yeah, I'd like to add in a couple schools uh, alongside that. Um, it, 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 it looks some of it is because of transfer portal, and some of it is because of other situations you're dealing with, like you mentioned with yeah. your losing your head coach there, or if, if for Texas A&M, you fire your head coach. Um, but Dylan Gabriel leaving Oklahoma leaves them in some trouble. Um, you, you know, I don't know what the plan is for the Sooners. I, look, I'm not I'm not going to tell you I know what their recruiting class is now, but Jackson Arnold is a freshman who who spent some time throwing the ball around when Dylan Gabriel was injured uh, at various points of the season. But losing Dylan Gabriel, um, as you're about to head into the SEC, uh, it is a tough draw there because you're you're heading into unfamiliar territory conference wise with question mark at quarterback and and Dylan Gabriel could have served as kind of a calming influence uh, to 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 some extent um, for Oklahoma but obviously he's on his way out and, and kind of a similar situation with Washington State and Cameron Ward and and we'll find out at some point uh, I believe in the near future I would think uh, where he's headed but. Uh, b- between not having a conference, uh, having to play a largely Mountain West schedule, uh, mm-hmm. and and then doing so without uh, a guy that looked like he could have really been uh, something important there at Washington State in, in your quarterback, um, that that's a tough draw as well. Yeah, it, it's just very difficult for some of these programs. Vanderbilt just lost their starting quarterback, of course, and, and there are a lot of great programs. Um, I mean, you look at Duke, they just lost Mike Elko and then Riley Leonard moves and then Waters moves. And I mean, it's one of the most interesting times in our sport right now for, for real. I mean, college football right now, you had, I think 20% of rosters last year over the course of this year were made up of transfer portal players. I mean, you had 500 plus players just at the division one level, uh, put in their, uh, decision to transfer just on Monday alone. We're up over a thousand people. I mean, I look down on my phone and I have Jaquavius Marks from Mississippi State at, who's run for 3,000 yards. He just put his name into the transfer portal um, at the time of this recording. That's literally happening right now. Like, it, this is the kind of thing. It's only going to continue getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this pool of, of players is just going to continue to grow. Um, we're well over a thousand people whose, whose names are in the portal right now. And a lot of those, uh, like Mecky Muse, I mean, he's a guy who, um, was a former walk-on player who's now going to go get a scholarship somewhere, which honestly great for him. I'm excited for him, but at the stage that we're in right now, I don't know how sustainable that it is right now as it stands. I like that they have some guidelines in place where you can't just jump into the portal and, and go find your new team uh, at some random point in the month of February. Uh, I like the idea that all of it can happen kind of at once. I mean, the, the the reporter in me likes to believe that it's all going to happen at one time and keep it to a schedule, you know, so I don't pull all my hair out. I'm too young to lose all my hair. So I don't want to have to deal with that necessarily, but I'm already doing everything else with, uh, with, with recruits and everything else. So I don't want to deal with the transfer portal too. But of course, when it all happens in one big week and uh, over the course of 30 days, I should say that that kind of makes my life a little easier. So 
I cannot only imagine what it's like for the head coaches of these institutions looking to build and build their rosters through the transfer portal. But like we talked about teams with the most to lose also retain as much as they possibly can in that portal. You're constantly recruiting your own players on top of the players that you're recruiting to come join you. So it's a, it's a weird time in college football. Yeah. And they've done it to themselves a little bit. Um, You know, the, 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 the NIL has affected the transfer portal more than anything else. Uh, And how many of these guys are leaving their school because of a situation they're looking to escape versus I can cash in. And and so to an extent they have brought this upon themselves, Uh, obviously getting rid. uh, I believe they got rid of the the transfer one time for free nonsense or whatever. So uh, the fact that people can always go somewhere and play immediately, not be penalized with sitting out a year. Um, And I know you deal with the COVID year. So you got extra years and you, they got new rules for if your coach gets fired or leaves. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that, essentially make it penalty free to transfer. And if you go back to where you were a couple years ago and it's a much tougher decision and NIL would still affect it. But uh, for the most part, if you had to get a waiver to be eligible immediately, I think you would see a lot less of this. Um, But uh, unless that is the plan moving forward, you're going to see the transfer portal uh, and NIL hand in hand um, until because I do believe the market will reset at some point yes. for both the portal and for NIL money spending. Um, it, but until that happens, it, they're they're hand in hand uh, in business with each other. And um, you're, you're going to see this every year, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and I think I think you are right. I think it's going to correct itself. It's just the inevitability. It's just simple economics, if you will. Um this is just the way that things happen. I mean, you, you you set something in the motion and then you let the market dictate what it's worth. Um, so I, I think we'll see maybe some market correction here in the next couple of years. It's just can college football and college athletics afford to wait uh, for for the market to figure itself out here in the next couple of years. I don't know if that's the case. Fortunately, I'm not Charlie Baker and I'm the, not the one who has to make that decision. Uh, so I know this is a, it's a bit of a thankless position for him over there at the NCAA, but it's not like the NCAA has necessarily been a beacon of hope when it comes to being a pioneer of change, if you will. Um, but of course on Saturday, we did get some big news. Uh, so I'm going to jump into some, some potential transfer portal news and notes here, Abe Gordon, if you're interested in that, I think because Dylan Gabriel, he made the first big splash. Uh, we saw Aiden Childs, he follows his head coach, Jonathan Smith to Michigan state, but the first real splash of course is Dylan Gabriel transferring over, transferring over to the university of Oregon, uh, Bo Nix, the back-to-back seasons, they're going to have six year quarterbacks, uh, manning the ship over there at the quarterback position, 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns for Gabriel this last season. I thought he was going to go to uh, Mississippi state. Truthfully, his offensive coordinator Levy, he moves on to, uh, take that job at Mississippi state down at Starkville. I'm a little surprised he ended up taking the job over at Oregon. Um, so what are your thoughts there? And then the the second thought is, do you think that this is going to be kind of a launching pad moment for the quarterbacks? Uh, so I'll start with Gabriel. Um, I I think this is a great fit, uh, for Oregon. Um, he, he brings the program, what it's probably going to need, uh, as as it enters the big 10, obviously in terms of that aspect, but, um, to stay where it is uh, on the borderline, uh, top five team. And obviously uh, we'll we'll see how it plays itself out as the playoffs expand next year. 
he, he's perfect for their offense. He's mobile. Um, I, I think he throws a very good and accurate ball, but maybe isn't the best deep ball thrower that we've ever seen. Um, and the Bo Nix is very similar. Um, and Oregon asks you to be accurate, asks you to make a lot of intermediate throws. And I think Dylan Gabriel's great for that. And obviously he can use his legs. We certainly saw that mm-hmm. in that game, uh, that huge upset, uh, against Texas. So I do think it's a good fit. I was surprised as well. I didn't know who Oregon would go after. Um, and, and obviously connecting the dots to following your head coach makes sense. I, I did a little, little bit of that myself, so uh, I don't blame you on that. Um, could they have gotten someone bigger? Um, potentially, but I, I don't, don't know. know. Bigger. Well, I, I mean, I think Cam Ward is bigger. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I Riley Leonard maybe have, could have been looked at as bigger. Um, he has the do not, so it's important to note he does, he does have the do not contact tag. Uh, so right. he is. He wants to approach other people. He does not want to be approached by other programs. You're referring to Riley Leonard there. Riley Leonard, obviously yeah, limiting, yeah. Uh, limiting. Uh, really, I'd just call them annoyances because I don't need every school that's got uh, a quarterback need uh, coming after exactly. me. So uh, I don't blame him for that. But it it really is a good fit. Like it just makes sense when you pull back and look at it. And so now you question what we're looking at next year. Now, if, if Dylan Gabriel starts all 12 games, he will break the record that Bo Nix set for most college starts uh, in a career. So there's an opportunity to follow that. He would need all 12 games to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just saw Bo Nix uh, on the dais there uh, Saturday night. Um, is Dylan Gabriel a, a potential Heisman candidate in that Oklahoma offense? I think legitimately he is. I, I think you're dealing with numbers um and stats and now the difference is you're gonna have to do it in the big 10 you're not doing it against the pac-12 opponents and and how does that impact um your play how how does dealing with weather for that matter impact your play because um you're gonna be some snow games you're gonna be some cold weather and certainly he didn't deal with that at ucf he didn't deal with that for the most part and look they have road games right if you're in oklahoma you go up to kansas it might be cold but you know what i'm saying um yeah i know what you mean it's not it's not South. It's not Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, it's not Madison, so, Wisconsin, or, or yeah. yeah there, there, it'll be some interesting things to see, but uh, it's a good fit, and um, I, I think it's a pretty smart move, savvy move for for Dan Lanning to one circle on his guy, and then two move quickly before any other fallout. Which leads me to the second part of the question that you asked: Is Dylan Gabriel committing? Um, the first domino, and now we see a surge of other announcements. I, I don't yeah. think so. I, I don't think it's based on him. I don't think it's based on any one quarterback. And, and I know I've mentioned this to you before. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's about Ohio State first because they have, in my opinion, they have to get a transfer quarterback. I think it starts there uh, and, and then moves uh, pretty quickly after that. The other caveat to this, um, and timelines get tricky because they are in the college football playoffs, but Oregon just found the quarterback that they're going to use in 2024. Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe that Washington is going to pull in someone from the transfer portal for for next season to be their starter. The question is, do do they wait until um, after – they're the the um the playoffs uh or are they able to pull someone in 
while they're messing with game prep and stuff like that. Um, Cause you, the one thing you don't want to do is sit there and watch Ohio state or Duke or Miami, potentially Florida state and whoever, whatever Auburn, whatever teams you want yeah. to, to say, they're probably going to go out and get a quarterback in the portal. You don't want to be the one person still waiting. Um, well, and, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I mean, it, it's recruiting's a three sixty five deal. Like it, whether it's prep sports or, or or prep prep athletes, or if it's uh, transfer portal athletes, they they are in the portal right now. They are actively recruiting people and doing everything else. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I I don't think they will. But but uh, they won't. They won't you, sit by and, and rest on their laurels. I, I would it surprise that. you if they announce. Uh, an incoming quarterback before their game, they may have a deal. Uh, if they, a if that's deal, the option, but, like if that's the option, why would they wait? What's what's the point of waiting? They don't gain anything from waiting. You you do wonder Penix the impact it has on the current players. Um, not Maybe. not not on Penix, but potentially on a backup. Well, then that's that's their problem. <laughs> no, well, not, no, I, 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 I get that. that. But, that's, no, I, I understand. Part of what I understand you have what you're saying. Weigh. No, no, this isn't because it's not as clear cut. There's going to be, they're going to bring in a quarterback battle. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that situation. I understand where you're coming from as far as potentially like what happens if Michael Penix gets hurt and then, and then they right. bring in it. Okay. Well then this is your audition. Like, sorry. Like this is just the nature of college athletics. This is the nature of athletics period. It's competition. Like this is what it is. I mean, I don't know if they go out. I don't know what their quarterback situation is behind Michael Penix, truth mm-hmm. be told, offhand. Uh, I don't know if they have a guy in-house already that they want to push. I don't know if they're active in the portal right now. I don't directly cover Washington. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know the the ins and outs of their program like that. I don't know if Kalen DeBoer is, uh, is going to be super, super deep into that. I, I just don't know off the hand. But I do know that his, his old quarterback was Michael Penix. He was the offensive coordinator at Indiana. And so that's one of the reasons why Penix followed him over. I don't know if there's another guy like that necessarily, who's going to be in that sort of, in in that sphere. I mean, there are a lot of programs who don't like to go big game hunting in the transfer portal. As far as quarterbacks go, some people like to recruit and develop with from within. So I'm not fully convinced. And I know you're, you're full fledged convinced that Ohio state's going to go add somebody in the transfer portal. I'm not, quite as convinced i'm just not because aaron noland and devin brown are both in-house already well aaron noland will be there of course he's from langston mm-hmm. hughes right here in atlanta top dual threat quarterback coming out of this class four-star recruit right here at langston hughes he's a beast and i've seen him firsthand i know i know what this kid this kid looks like he is college ready devin brown is already in-house up there he's a former four-star recruit he's a, he's he's ready to go i don't know if you need somebody it just felt like Kyle McCord. They, that's one of the reasons why he couldn't commit to him. I, and now, if they go out and add Cam Ward, I think that would be very interesting. I think that would be a, a very good one-year plan. But not every team wants to do something like that. Most programs, from what I have seen, of course, we're still in the very early stages. What I have seen is people like to develop their quarterback from the inside. Georgia's done it that way. Alabama's done it that way. Um we, we've seen a few exceptions to that. Of course, Joe Burrow and, and, and Jaden Daniels, that's two Heisman Trophy winners uh, that were added from LSU. Uh, so, look, there are a lot of different ways that you can do roster construction. Uh, we've seen Dabo Sweeney, who's just been hell-bent on not using the transfer portal. So I don't know if there's any one way to properly do it one way or the other, but I do know that they 
lost Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord's on the move. So they have a, a hole, if you will. I just don't know if they're going to fill into the portal. Yeah, I, look, I only suggest that because I think Ryan Day is on the hot seat and feels the pressure. And, and that's a good point. That's you you point. have to you got to get that right. You can't work your way through it um, because if you lose to Michigan a fourth straight time, you're probably getting fired. Um, so w- whether he does go with one of the guys that are on campus now or an incoming freshman or someone from the portal, um, they better get that one right because <laughs> and it's only getting tougher, obviously, with Oregon, Washington among the teams that are entering uh, the conference as well. So there, there's there's. Obviously, some room for error, right? Because you got 12 teams, and they're not going to. If you lose to Michigan and go into the playoffs and make some noise, maybe, you know, whatever. But like, you better get that thing corrected this year. And that's why I think that um, they are big game hunting. Now, the other option is if they don't get the one or two guys that they've circled, uh, maybe they do enter with guys that are on, on their list. Uh, in terms of what's the right way to do it, I mean, let's let's look at uh, the four this year, right? Like Michigan developed J.J. McCarthy. He's their recruit. Uh, Jalen Milrow at Alabama. Uh, Penix, obviously, was a transfer. And then Quinn Ewers is interesting because technically he is a transfer out of Ohio State. Um, I don't know where you fall on this. I believe Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State always intending to transfer, but he went to get NIL money for one year which he was not able to do at Texas at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if you feel that way. I, I feel like that was always the plan. So yes, he technically is a transfer, but kind of developed as well. So you're, you're in terms of transfers, you're two, two are in and two are out. Um, I completely uh, forgot he was at Ohio state for, for that year. Yeah. He, it, it, for it, it, forego, he, he, was, he, he opted to forego his senior year of high school to go, <laughs> sit on campus and practice with the team basically yeah he, he got because of the age situation i think but he wasn't he won, eligible yeah he couldn't get nil money um at texas but he could at mm-hmm. ohio state for whatever reason um so I, I i mean yes he technically is a transfer but i do look at him as a guy that texas developed and and maybe yes. that you know you could also be a transfer and be developed by that team you know because um you know, the guys that we're talking about are kind of already on that platform and have made plays and are now coming in. Quinn Ewers had not done that. So it, it, you look at that a little bit differently. But uh, I, I still believe, and I don't know if you're the same, I, I think um, a line of succession at quarterback and not playing that revolving door, uh, but doing it the way that Kirby Smart seems to be doing it um, is is – now look they they also tried right the the the, the transfer thing at georgia right you had jamie newman you had ben jt daniels. daniels uh and i know technically stetson but he was there then left and came back you know whatever um he did the pro he did like i almost said proper he did the the the, the traditional route he did the old school good, juco and, and juco. yeah yeah um but but they, but Georgia developed stetson bennett i, I don't think yeah. there's any denying that they've developed carson beck and they're looking to develop Gunnar Stockton, Dylan Iola, Puglisi, whoever uh, is going to be on campus and, and form mm-hmm. that quarterback room. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the way to go. Um, but, but uh, I mean, only time will tell over, over the course as, as we get through it. Yeah, and uh, look, at the end of the day, I think it's going to make for a very interesting cycle. I know this year in particular, we have a ton, a ton of veteran one-year rental type of quarterbacks. Yeah. Will Howard 
Um, uh, Riley Leonard, who is at the end of his college career, he's a junior this year. I think he might have two years of eligibility still. Uh, Kyle McCord, of course, he we talked about Ohio State. Kyle McCord moved off. He's He was just at the University of Nebraska over the weekend. That's one of the favorites to land his services. Will Rogers, DJ Uyengalale, Tyler Van Dyke. There are a number of one-year rentals that are out there and available. I don't know how many of those guys are necessarily going to get upgrades or are going to be upgrades for the teams that they transfer to, but it does make for a very interesting cycle because we're starting to see a lot more of the the linchpin-type players move off of their institutions and into uh, into new places. You know, So it's like we don't know. Some of, these, some of these people may end up coming back. You don't know. I mean, we really don't know. Um, it's just sort of this period in flux, but Dante Moore is specifically one person who right. I'm going to have my eye on, uh, as we move through this, of course, he had a, a very tumultuous recruitment process, but he goes to UCLA. Uh, he ends up having, like had an okay year. I mean, he was fine. He was young. He was a freshman player, made freshman mistakes, uh, but his offensive coordinator and head coach, and there's all kinds of turmoil over there at UCLA. So it makes complete sense why he wants to, to get up out of uh, UCLA and go get a fresh start. But uh, lots of news and notes around all of transfer the transfer portal. Uh, I, I have my eye on specifically the two defensive linemen from Texas A&M as well. So I know we, we've been talking about quarterbacks specifically, uh, but Etienne, um, he's a very interesting person to watch. Waters from Duke, he's a very interesting person to watch. Um, but specifically Walter Nolan and LT Overton, the two former five-star defensive linemen, those two people are going to be very, very important in this next cycle. They're going to go somewhere. I think Walter Nolan is is uh, probably a shoe in at Tennessee or at the University of Michigan. Both are, were very high on his list during his last his recruitment cycle back in 2022. I think that makes for a very interesting cycle for them too. But I, I don't know what the timeline is for a lot of these folks. We saw our first real domino fall with Dylan Gabriel. We haven't seen anything since. So it's been now at the, at time, the time of this recording, it's been a full 24 hours coming on 48 hours. Uh, it's been a while. So I, I, I haven't, I don't think that it was necessarily going to be the first domino. Like that was the initial question, but look, it'll make for a very interesting transfer portal cycle. Yeah. I, I, I think there are a lot of guys who you may not realize are going to have a huge impact on the season next year that are not quarterbacks. Yes. Like, like you mentioned, and, and it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, and look, there's some schools uh, who are either in the playoffs or narrowly miss the playoffs that have holes and, and need to fill holes and are going to use the portal to do so and recruiting as well. Um, but but it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the Wild West uh, for a couple of years here as we get this whole figured out. One thing on Dante Moore uh, that you mentioned, and, and he's super intriguing because, yes, he is that transfer, but kind of like Quinn Ewers, he's a guy you can kind of develop into uh, what hopefully can lead your your program forward in the next year or two. Um, there's a lot of reports and, and some news coming about him uh, potentially considering Oregon, even though uh, they obviously just got Dylan Gabriel. It, it would set up an interesting line of succession if you start yeah. Dylan Gabriel. You have Dante Moore learn for a year under him. Now, that requires patience for Moore, and not every quarterback of his talent wants to sit for a year. Um, but then potentially starting for two years after that, uh, yeah. which which could be very, very interesting if that's how it plays out. I know Dylan Gabriel's already made public comments that he would welcome more uh, into the program as well, uh, if that is the choice. So um, that that's something I find very interesting is, is 
using one transfer portal window here this year in 2023 leading into 2024 to potentially, if you're Dan Lanning, set up your quarterback for next year, but also possibly for a couple years after that. Um, I don't recall that uh, being done in that manner where you get two big quarterbacks with a, with a, a plan to start one and have one learn and then move forward that way. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, wondering to see if that's uh, maybe a trend uh, as some of these guys who still have their COVID year eligibility stuff play out one year and then you, you get a young guy as well. So uh, interested to see how that plays out. If, if that is even the, you know, his final landing spot. Yeah. I mean, I would also assume that there'd be a quarterback battle between those yeah. two. And so yeah. it's not completely unheard of that, that a Dante Moore would go in and, and beat him out, you know, crazier things have happened, you know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all at the end of the day. So uh, I, I think it makes for a very interesting cycle. I know we'll have, Lots of news and notes to get into as we continue on through college football overtime. But that's it for us today. Uh, quite, pretty short one today. Uh, I, I feel like we we just finished up the regular season. We're moving into a lot of the rumor mill season. I know uh, Major League Baseball likes to call this the hot stove season. We're we're kind of in the transfer portal season. So that's uh, we're, we're going to start hearing a lot of these rumors and, and, and recruitment. Of course, we have the, the early signing period coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So plenty of stuff to stay on top of here with college football, especially as we get into the bowl season, my, one of my favorite times of the year. Po- uh, college football teams, of course, playing in their bowl games, many of them breaking bo- uh, bowl list streaks, and we're very excited for that. So make sure you're liking and subscribing down below. Uh, jump in there. Give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. We really appreciate all that you do. Thank you so much for listening. For Abe Gordon, my name is Garrett Chapman. We are College Football Overtime. We'll catch you again on Thursday morning. Thanks so much for listening. 